Greetings, friends and brethren in the Lord. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly, exceedingly great joy. Last week, I started a series titled Slave or Free. I believe this is a very timely message considering where we are in the nation with so much division, with much slavery. As I mentioned last week, we are actually living in a greater time of slavery than we ever have. And I'll uh, briefly mention that again at the end so that you understand exactly what I'm talking about. But I believe that this topic, slave or free, uh, really gets to the very core of who we are, not just as Christians, but as human beings. So, Father, I thank you for this message. I bless your people today. I bless those who are listening to this message, and I ask, Lord, that you would increase their revelation, that you would give them an understanding so that, Father, they would begin to realize, recognize that they are slaves to you, but in being a slave to Christ, they have a greater freedom than they ever had before they knew Christ. Because before they knew Christ, they were in deep bondage. Father, we thank you that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, the one who redeemed us from sin and death. Father, I just thank you for helping me to share this truth in a way that those who are listening will understand it. In Jesus' precious and mighty name, amen. So I want to give you a very brief account from last week so that you have some sense of where we're going if you didn't hear last week's message. Now, the Bible begins to tell us about slavery early on, When it tells us the story of the Israelites being slaves to the Egyptians. And actually, they were in that bondage of slavery for 430 years. Now, right before their release, the Egyptians increased the hardship and the cruelty on the Israelites. Freedom only came after God spoke to Moses in the burning bush, told him that he had to be the one that would go to Pharaoh and ask for them to be set free. Of course, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and even through ten plagues that were horrific plagues, Pharaoh refused to let the Israelites go. And it wasn't until the angel of death came and killed every firstborn son. Of course, we call that time Passover because the angel of death passed over every Hebrew house that was covered with the lamb's blood. And After the death of his firstborn son, Pharaoh finally relented and said, basically, get out, please go. And 
in that leaving, they were given articles of gold, silver, clothing. And it even says in Exodus 12, 36, that whatever, whatever they requested, they were given. And the scripture then says, thus they plundered the Egyptians. So the Israelites' freedom came with incredible wealth. You talk about a suddenly, you talk about a surprise. That was a suddenly. One minute they were in deep bondage and in a flash they were set free, but not just set free, but set free with all the wealth of Egypt. I tell you, our God is a God of suddenlies. Then I talked to you about a story briefly about Ruth. I didn't get into the story of Ruth, but I talked to you about the redeeming relative. And the redeeming relative in the culture of Israel at that time was the, the usually the male, and it could be a brother, uncle, cousin, who had been appointed to to protect the clan. So if you were so poor that you uh, lost your land and had to become a slave to another individual because you had no means to care for yourself or your family, then the redeeming relative could have first option to buy you back. They could buy back your land. They could buy you back. And that way everything was kept within the uh, family. And so this redeeming relative was a very prominent concept in the Israelite culture. What I'm going to share with you today is about that redeeming relative. I didn't really get into the book of Ruth last week, but I'm going to talk a lot about the book of Ruth today. Now, this is a very short book of the Bible, but a very important story. And of course, the story, as you'll see, points to Jesus, who truly is our kinsman, was and is our kinsman redeemer. So this story about the book of Ruth, I'm going to, in a nutshell, just tell you the story. Uh, Naomi was a Hebrew woman, married, had two sons, Her husband dies. She's left with two sons. And these two sons, unfortunately, take wives from Moab. And I'll be talking to you in a minute about Moab and why that's a bad deal. Then the two sons die, leaving the two widows, one named Orpah, the other named Ruth. Now, the mother-in-law, Naomi, she encourages, encourages these two young women to go back to Moab because really she doesn't see any future for them. And she's very bitter and she's very, you know, distressed and she really doesn't see any future uh, for them with her. So she really, really pushes them to go back to Moab. Orpah does. 
But Ruth absolutely refuses to go back to Moab. She literally, the Bible says, she clings to Naomi and just refuses to go. She's just not going to go back. And and this is what Ruth says in Ruth chapter 1, starting with verse 16. Ruth says, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. So when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she just stopped, you know, pushing her. So these two women went on to Bethlehem. And this story goes on and um, we're going to, and of course, uh, Naomi's husband was a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. And there was a relative of her husband by the name of Boaz, who, who was also wealthy. But um, Ruth says to Naomi, let me go. She's poor. Let me go to the field. I'm going to glean the heads of grain and see if I might find favor with Boaz. And so Naomi says, you know, go ahead and go. Now, I'm going to talk about gleaning. I'm going to read actually something to you. This is information from the Modern Life Study Bible. And I think this is very good because it really helps us to understand all of these different concepts. Now, the book of Ruth appears to be a simple love story between Ruth, a very poor widow, and Boaz, the wealthy landowner, who's a a presumed bachelor. But when you're looking at this in the historical context, their relationship was subject to very complex customs and legal technicalities. Now, gleaning was the process of going back over a field or an orchard or a vineyard after the main harvest so a person could gather every last bit of produce. Now, the law commanded that the poor be given the right of gathering any produce left behind after the harvest. And Leviticus 19, 9 and 10 tells us that. So as a just man, Boaz was committed to following the law and allowed Ruth, who was a poor widow with no, she had no means of support. Her husband's deceased. So he lets her glean from his fields. After the promised land was divided among the Israelites, Israel's tribes, each family endeavored to ensure that its portion remained in the family. We talked about that land was sometimes lost through poverty, but the law solved this problem by giving family members the right to repurchase the land their relatives had been forced to sell. 
The nearest re- relative of the land seller was called the redeeming relative or a kinsman redeemer. Naomi had sold the family's land, possibly to support herself and Ruth. That put Elimelech's nearest male relative in Bethlehem in a position to act as a redeeming relative. This man, who initially agreed to repurchase the land, suddenly we see in the story he changes his mind. When he learns that he would have to marry Ruth, a requirement of the law of the Leverite marriage. So when he thinks he has to marry Ruth, he changes his mind. He backs out of the transaction. Now, the transaction would have jeopardized his immediate family's financial situation and, and inheritance. So that left the next closest male relative, which is Boaz. And leaves him with the choice to act as the redeeming relative and to marry Ruth. The decision probably cost him dearly. He would have had to consider not only the value of the land, but also the loss of a potential dowry from a different match if he had maybe decided to marry someone else. Now, ownership of land in Israel was determined through the male heir. Because Elimelech's sons had died without fathering children, he had no heirs. So when Naomi sold the family's land, she sold the inheritance, right? Because her husband is the one who owns the land. Now, unless a redeeming relative repurchased the land, it would be lost to another family at least until the next jubilee year when it would be scheduled to revert to its original owner. The initial unnamed redeeming relative was glad to repurchase Elimelech's land, but when he realized that doing so would also mean taking Ruth as his wife, he changed his mind. And that's in Ruth chapter 4, verse 6. Any male children that he fathered by Ruth would be legally considered the sons of Ruth's first husband. And this was known, this is, this is the law, this was known as the law of the Leverite marriage. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. The land would never pass into his own family's possession And he would ruin his family's inheritance by spending his wealth to repurchase Elimelech's land. Okay, so that should make sense to you. He marries this woman. He buys back this land. But the minute they have a child, that child is considered to be the son of Ruth's first husband, not the second guy. All right. Now, without the law of the Leverite or Leverite marriage, without the law of the Leverite marriage, a man's dying sons, a, excuse me, a man's dying without sons would have created at least two potential problems. If a widow remained outside the family, 
her family's inheritance passed to her new family. Yet without remarrying, the widow might have no male family members to support her. The law of the Leverate marriage addressed these issues so that if a man died without leaving children, the man's brother or the nearest male relative was expected, listen, expected to marry the man's widow and father an an heir. And the child was legally considered the child of the deceased man. Naomi was presumably past her childbearing years. So the law of the Leverite marriage no longer applied to her. But it evidently still applied to Ruth, who by marrying into Elimelech's family could provide an heir. The unnamed redeeming relative was not aware of his responsibility to Ruth until Boaz pointed it out. At that point, that's when he backs out. He, he doesn't want to buy the land. As the next closest relative, Boaz has the responsibility to marry Ruth, and he fulfilled his Leverite duty by fathering Obed. According to the law, Obed was counted as the son of Ruth's first husband and was therefore the heir of Elimelech. The women of Bethlehem acknowledge this fact by referring to Obed in the scripture as a son born to Naomi. Okay. Now, the transaction between the unnamed redeeming relative, we don't, the Bible doesn't tell us who he is, doesn't give us a name, but that transaction between that unnamed relative and Boaz took place in the presence of Bethlehem's elders at the city gates. And the city gates was a place, it was the, it was the customary setting for civic and economic deliberations. And um, the city gates function much like a courtroom or other public forms that we have today. So the city gates were very, very important, and that's where the elders of the city kind of sat, so to speak. Okay, a private transaction took place between Boaz and Ruth before his meeting with the elders. Following her mother-in-law's advice, in other words, Ruth following Naomi's advice, Ruth approached Boaz at night and asked him to take her under his wing as her redeeming relative. In effect, she asked Boaz to marry her by alerting him of his responsibility to give her and her deceased husband an heir. She was unlikely, she was likely unaware that there was a closer male relative. Boaz informed Ruth that another man had first right of refusal to become her husband. If he declined, however, Boaz would be able to marry her. And it was at this circumstance that prompted Boaz to approach the elders at the gate. So we see in the scriptures that Boaz goes to the elders at the gate. 
He explains this whole situation. And, of course, they understand the laws, the rules. Um, and, you know, this is, this is the way it's going to go down. Um, now, Boaz tells the elders he's, he's going he's to redeem the land. Chapter four of Ruth, he he says on the he says on the day you buy the field, uh, rather the the unnamed relative says he's going to buy it, and Boaz then kind of reminds him. He says, "Look, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance." And then this relative backs out he says i can't i can't redeem it for myself lest i ruin my own inheritance you redeem my right of redemption for yourself because i i can't redo it and um it says now this was the custom in former times in israel concerning redeeming and, and, and exchanging to confirm anything one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other and this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal and Boaz said to the elders, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Those are her sons. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess the wife of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses today. I want to drop down to verse 13. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous. Listen to that. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. And all the neighbor women gave him a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. And he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And David, of course, you know, that's the end of chapter four. David, Christ came from the line, from the house of David. What an exciting story. Now, Ruth's situation, though, let's go back a moment. Ruth's situation was complicated by the fact that she was from Moab. See, you can't forget that she's from Moab. She's not a Hebrew. Her status as a sojourner or a foreigner gave her privileges, such as the right to glean fields 
as long as she followed the law. So because she was a foreigner, she was allowed to glean his fields. Yet the law also declared that no Moabite could enter the assembly of the Lord forever. I want to go back to Deuteronomy 23. And this is what the Lord says. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet with you, because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. You shall not seek their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever. So Moab, no way. She's from Moab. She's a Moabitess. And she can't enter the assembly of the Lord because the law says it forever. And this was a consequence of this Moabite hostility toward Israel during the wilderness journey that I just shared with you. The Moabites were so hated that the Israelites were forbidden to seek their peace or prosperity. Ruth had no reason to believe that she would fare well in Israel, yet she insisted on traveling to Bethlehem with Naomi. She was reaching out to this Hebrew God. If he would have her, she wanted God. Now, she was surprised when Boaz showed her kindness and in her behavior in the fields and toward her mother-in-law. Boaz recognized her reverence for the Lord and chose to extend grace to her. So what you have to see here is that the scripture says that God said, no way, shape, or form are we ever going to let an Ammonite or a Moabite into the assembly of the Lord. But because she persisted, because she pursued God, and he saw her heart, he saw the, the, re, the reality, the realness, the true genuineness of her heart. She wanted to know God. She wanted to follow Naomi's God. And because of that, Boaz chose to extend grace to her. And he redeems her, and he becomes her kinsman redeemer. Wow, what a beautiful, beautiful story that really portrays Christ as our kinsman redeemer in, in, many, in many ways. Um, and at some point, you know, we're going to talk about that. But anyway... Um, we're going to close that out for today. And, you know, next week, again, I'll be talking about slaver free. This is a very important topic. 
You can go to www.pureheart.today and listen to this podcast again. And if you sow uh, um, a love offering into this ministry, Pure Heart Ministries, I would greatly appreciate it. I am um, honored to have you pray for this ministry above all. And if you'd like to sow something into this ministry, you can uh, send a check to Pure Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 85. That's P.O. Box 85. Valley Grove, West Virginia, 26060, Pure Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 85, Valley Grove, West Virginia, 26060. Well, I look forward to being with you again. Shalom, shalom, peace be unto you.